Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out what legislators expect to hear from the much-anticipated EdBuild Education Report. I don't think you will see a recommendation to spend any less money on education pre-K through 12. We've been told that we can't even communicate with EdBuild directly. It's hard to be in support of something that you're not a part of. Then, how a group of Mississippi truckers wants to help keep human traffickers off the road. Plus, one daughter remembers her family's involvement in Brown versus Board of Education. That's all coming up. Plus, Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today at the state capitol, legislators will finally hear recommendations on public education funding from EdBuild. That's the organization contracted to evaluate the state's current funding formula, the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, or MAEP. Senate President Pro Tem Terry Burton, a Republican from Newton, and Representative Gary Chisholm, a Republican from Columbus, say the formula needs to be reevaluated. I don't think you will see a recommendation to spend any less money on education K, uh, pre-K through 12. I do think you might see some, my prediction would be that you might see some tweaking of the formula to make it make more sense and be more um, classroom-centered rather than some of the other uh, uh, priorities that it, or the MAEP formula as it exists today. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that report. I think that uh, the company has done a good job, a thorough job of, of speaking with superintendents. They spoke with my superintendent in my local town uh, and finding out uh, what's going on out there in the system and see what changes need to be made. So I'm looking forward to getting those recommendations and trying to put them to use. What I want to see is more money for the classrooms. What I want to see is the all the various things that we fund that is not part of the MAEP formula to be included in it. We give enough money to fully fund MAEP each and every year with extras that we put out there. If they were included in it, there could, they couldn't have the argument that they keep beating us over the head with. So I want a student-based formula that includes all those extra things that we do for K-12 education. 
Representative Gary Chisholm, before that, Senator Terry Burton. Representative Jarvis Dorch is a Democrat from Raymond. He says whether the funding formula needs to be examined or not, he wants to be part of a more transparent process. Since we, as Democrats, have been outside of the process, we've only met with Ed Bill one time. Um, we've been told that we can't even communicate with Ed Bill directly. It's hard to be in support of something that you're not a part of. So right now, you know, we have to look at it in a way that we're kind of suspicious about what's going to happen. Um, I hope for the best. I hope that we can put more funding into public education. But uh, it's going to really be dependent on what comes out of the recommendations and not only the recommendations, but what actually comes to the House floor for us to vote on. Representative Jarvis Dorch. In other news, as the fight continues against human trafficking, a group of Mississippi truckers are joining the cause. The Mississippi Truckers Association is partnering with a group called Truckers Against Trafficking. The group trains truck drivers how to be on the lookout for signs of human trafficking and how to report their concerns. Truckers Association President Hal Miller says his members are eager to be part of the solution. Well, we became aware of the organization Truckers Against Trafficking a few years back, uh, and it's an organization that's put together that basically, uh, obviously, combats uh, human trafficking, but it's partnered up with the trucking industry because so much of human trafficking, of course, is transient. It's constantly, uh, you know, being moved around, uh, uh, unfortunately, so that people can get away with it, Um, and they realize that uh, uh, you couldn't ask for a better set of eyes, if you will, to help look for it and spot it and report it than an industry that's constantly on the move. How many trucks might be on the road in Mississippi at any given time? I don't know that I can give you a number of how many trucks are on the road on any given time in Mississippi, but there are literally thousands of trucking companies in the state of Mississippi right now. So far, we've trained over 3,000 drivers on, number one, how to spot human trafficking, and number two, of course, you know what to do once you see it. And a lot of our member companies have actually made it a part of their orientation and their safety program where they they, they actually are, are uh, as part of uh, bringing in a driver to the organization. That's part of the training they receive. Is there a unified uh, method of training? Is it the same information? That's, yeah, that's, that's the beauty of being a member of Truckers Against Trafficking. They actually uh, have training programs in place. So each trucking company is not coming up with their own training program and not coming up with you know, what they think is you know, the best way to do this. This organization has already done all that work for you, and basically all you need to do is take their modules, you know, their, their training modules, and go forward and, 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 and show your, uh, your drivers you know, that training material. That way the industry as a whole is using the basic same format of what they're looking for and then what to do. What, what are they looking for? What, what is chief among uh, signs that there might be some trafficking going on? And this is an example if you're at a truck stop. If you happen to notice uh, a camper or, uh, you know, a vehicle that's parked back over to the back or off at the side and there seems to be some suspicious activity, maybe people going in and out of that vehicle, um, um, looking for, you know, what would look like, you know, uh, possibly a prostitution situation, and then also spotting someone who seems to be basically held against their will. Um, those are the type of things you're looking for. You know, you, you may, uh, uh, truckers sometimes can hear through the grapevine, you know, here's a situation of, you know, possible prostitution going on here or there, and that, you know, that triggers them to, okay, this may be human trafficking, 
in, in, in contact, you know, the, the proper authorities from there. Yeah, what is the next step? If they see something they think is suspicious, it's to contact local authorities? That's it. There's actually, as part of the Truckers Against Trafficking program, there's actually a number that these guys are all given that uh, uh, that way they don't have to scramble and dig and try and find, you know, who is the local authority they need to contact. You know, it occurs to me you said that truckers are eyes on the highways, and if there's an amber alert or a silver alert for an older person missing or a child missing with an amber alert, it seems that truck drivers can be crucial in helping in those situations. They can, and another area that that this is not new to, to the industry as far as becoming a watchdog, if you will, Back shortly after 9/11, the uh, the industry as a whole uh, went through some pretty significant training on spotting of you know, acts of terrorism. Because again, because you got so many eyes out there constantly on the move, and and, and frankly, you'll find that the you know the trucking industry as a whole is a very patriotic, civic-minded industry, and those folks that are in it are just good salt of the earth people that care. So they 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 take that as an honor to be asked to be you know to be part of the solution. So it's it's it's, it's really just a great resource all the way around for the industry to uh, to be involved. TAT is Truckers Against Trafficking. MTA is the Mississippi Trucking Association. They have joined together to raise awareness throughout their membership about human trafficking and how to spot it. We've been speaking with Hal uh, Hal Miller, who's the president of the Mississippi Trucking Association. Hal, thank you so much. Well, thank you. January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. The daughter of the man whose name is on the landmark Brown versus Board of Education case has a message for Mississippi. We'll talk to her next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next Fit to Eat, I'm going to show you how to make butterbean soup with ham and some other butterbean recipes. Registered dietitian Rebecca Turner will show us how to make a healthier corn dog. We travel to the Wise Family Farm in Pontotoc, Mississippi to see their butterbean harvest, and we have a very special guest, State Senator from District 49, Sean Tyndale, to be here and help me put it all together. So join us. Saturday afternoon at 1.30 on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The daughter of the man whose name is on the landmark Brown versus Board of Education case is urging college students and others in Mississippi to be students of history. Cheryl Brown Henderson was in Mississippi for the 49th Martin Luther King Convocation at Jackson State University. She spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier about her father's legacy and about the work of the foundation named for her family. Actually, my father was part of a collective action. The NAACP uh, is really the the group that organized the the case of Brown and all of the cases that went along with Brown v. Board. And the way they the process unfolded is they recruited families to be plaintiffs for their case. So my father was one of those recruited by the local NAACP. And so he became part of a group of 13 parents who, in the Topeka case, were the litigants. And, of course, in South Carolina and Delaware, Virginia and Washington, D.C., and there were also families who had been recruited that were plaintiffs in those cases. And all of those cases were combined then uh, under what is known as Brown versus the Board of Education. Was he afraid at all? No, Kansas is, is a different sort of place. You have to remember historically that Kansas was not a slave state. It did not permit slavery. So African Americans were actively recruited to come live in Kansas, although his family came under other circumstances. So it was a place where there was always a certain amount of freedom for people of color. Uh, we lived in integrated neighborhoods. Uh, my father worked in an integrated setting. Uh, the assistant pastor
pastor at our church uh, was white. He So we were always kind of blending, mixing, and associating, not to mention, like most African-American families, we all have relatives of every ethnicity and race. And so this was not something uh, to fear, but it was something that was necessary because it was against the law. What do you remember about that time? Well, I was very young. I mean, I was not the, in our family, it was my older sister that my father was participating on behalf of. So I have no memory of the case itself. How did this case impact your life? What impacted my life in that I went to school post-Brown, and I say that because I, kindergarten through graduate school, I never had a teacher of color. And that's why when I would go to those reunions, to me, I had missed that element because the white teachers I had post-Brown were new to African-American students. Uh, It was a a different sort of environment. Um, Education became really um, an intimate action, meaning that you had to take the initiative. Whereas pre-Brown, you know, the educators worked tirelessly to make sure, you know, you learned and you excelled. In your mind... What do you see about society, the impact that, it, that the case had? Well, the impact, it impacted everything, and in many ways, everything more, more significantly even than schools. You know, because Brown v. Board and the 14th Amendment that it pivoted on, the 14th Amendment, which says that we all have the right to equal protection of the laws. So that opened the doors to so much else. Brown v. Board is the foundation and the catalyst for the civil rights movement. And really, quite frankly, it started to dismantle the legal right to segregate. Because after Brown v. Board and the court said that, no, you know, everybody has this equal protection under the law, then segregation was bound to fall. I mean, granted, it took marches, it took martyrs, it took a lot of effort, but there was no way it could stand because it had no legal foundation. How's your sister? Where is she? Oh, well, my, I have two sisters. My older sister, who was the child my, my dad was, uh, is ill. You know, time passes. and Sorry to hear that. She has a way of creeping in. And How old is she? She's 73. So um, not very old into, by today's standards, but, yeah, she, she's been ill for quite a while. And what are you doing now? Well, we have a foundation we've had since 1988 called the Brown Foundation for Educational Equity, Excellence, and Research. So I'm the founding president and um, pretty much run the foundation. We do curriculum for teachers because one of the things we noted is that civil rights is not taught very comprehensively in our schools. So we at least want Brown v. Board to be one of those, um, I guess, pillars, you know, that is taught. So we develop curriculum and train teachers and do that kind of thing. When we have resources, we give scholarships to minority students who want to become teachers because now that once the doors open in 64 with the Civil Rights Act, uh, teaching was not the first place people sought a professional outlet. And so we, we don't have as many teachers as we once had. And yet in our urban core, you know, we certainly have the predominance of students or students of color. What do you want people to take away from today? Well, I want them to take away the importance of um, legacy, but the necessity of hope. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Cheryl Brown Henderson is the founding president of the Brown Foundation for Educational Equity, Excellence, and Research. She spoke with our Desiree Frazier. On this National Day of Service, we'll hear from an organization that will spend the day celebrating its volunteers. That's coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. Listen for MLK, three landmark speeches, speech highlights, and commentary. In his great speeches, he gives us a glimpse of that future um, that he will never live to see. How long, not long. That's MLK, three landmark speeches, a Peace Talks radio special. This morning at 9 on MPB Think Radio. 
This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sharita Brent, joined by Wilts Couture, and today we're going to talk about some ways to save battery life on your tech devices. Wilts, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Sharita. Now, I thought about this topic because it seems that sometimes I have an issue with my battery life on my phone, and I guess one reason is because I'm always on it. But I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on some easy ways to save battery life. Would one of those things be to turn off apps that may be running all the time on your phone or tablet? Well, definitely. Um, you know, a lot has changed, uh, especially with some of the newer devices as far as for making those background apps not as battery intensive. But I mean, even just last week, there was something that came out. There was an update to the Facebook Messenger and regular app. And they pushed a big update out and they told everyone, hey, you need to close the app, run the update and reopen it again because it was doing a severe drain on the battery. And my wife definitely verified that that was the same thing she was saying because she loves her Facebook feed. Keeping an eye on those apps is definitely a big thing. Keeping an eye on those app updates is a huge thing too because a lot of those updates, Android and Apple, um, a lot of them deal with either security or with battery issues because that is a very common issue for a lot of people. Now, something I do, I feel like it is a, a cool little trick that maybe everybody doesn't think about, but I dim my screen very often. So very seldom is my screen on my phone all the way bright. Does that help at all with battery life? It, it does as well. Um, that is one of the one of the harder things that your phone's having to actually do is to keep that brightness up. And, and a lot of people probably will recognize that it's a little bit easier on the eyes that you bring that brightness down. I mean, I even in broad daylight can put mine at about 30 or 40 percent, and I see that I can still see it just fine. Definitely has a huge effect. I had to uh, teach that one to my kids a little bit because, you know, of course, they thought, oh, it's got to be up cranked all the way up. But once they brought that brightness down, it really, really helped. So what are your thoughts on when it comes to charging your phone? Do you suggest getting it at full battery capacity? Is it a bad idea to let your phone go all the way dead before you charge it up again? Well, you know, back in the days with the old, what we used to call the the candy bar phone, kind of mm-hmm. like those nickel cadmium batteries, the traditional wisdom back then was to let it run all the way down because otherwise you would have to be fighting this thing called uh, battery memory. That is really no longer the case. Most of your devices today are actually lithium-ion devices, and you're actually better off not letting it run all the way down. That's one of the reasons a lot of your phones will actually warn you at about 20 25% saying, hey, you know, you're getting a little bit low, so... I typically tell folks, don't let it run all the way down. There's nothing wrong with getting your use out of it for the day. But me personally, I put mine back on charge every night, and it's really giving me a good life to my battery. Letting it run all the way down really can impact the health of your battery and get you a lot less life out of it. Now, should people be concerned if the battery or the phone gets hot? Mine does that sometimes when I'm on it for hours at a time. But what does that mean if it gets really hot? What should you do in that situation? For the most part, that's really just really normal operations. I mean, they're going to get warm. We're talking about devices getting smaller and smaller. And and again, one of the big consumer demands is really we want battery power. We want it to last all day. And so they will tend to get warm. There is a difference between warm and hot. It's almost uncomfortable to the touch. You've definitely got an issue, and especially if you see anything such as swelling, if it seems like the case is buckling a little bit, if you're if you're noticing that something's kind of getting deformed, you definitely got a problem. But a little bit of warmth, warmth to the touch, not necessarily a really huge deal. And really quickly, your thoughts on a portable battery pack. I have one, and it is a lifesaver. It costs about maybe $30, and I can get a couple extra charges to my phone with it. Is it something you suggest everyone should get? Worth its weight in gold. I'm, I'm a big believer as well. Um, you know, used to when I have my computer around or something, I mean, I used to have a, a backpack with me or something like that, and they're really small to kind of just toss in there. I've even gotten my kids to put them in their backpack for school. 
I mean, even for that matter, you know, some of the little smaller ones about the size of a lipstick case that you can even slip in that could really give you a little more juice because you never know when you're going to need that little bit of extra power. It could be that, you know, you're really about to find that Pokemon that you just haven't been able to locate yet, or you could be broken down on the side of the road. And you need a little bit of power to make sure that you can get to emergency services or call a friend to come help you. So having a little bit of extra power can go a long way. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about topics like these on Everyday Tech, the show, which airs on Wednesday mornings at 10. You can send an email at any time to everydaytech at mpbonline.org or reach us by phone Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. For Wilts Couture, I'm Sherita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. Next, American Radio Works documentary. I talked in Washington in 1963 about my dream, and I've seen this dream turn into a nightmare. On the 40th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s death, the remarkable story of his last year of life. Listen for King's Last March from American Public Media. This morning at 10 on MVB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Habitat for Humanity is an organization built through the efforts of volunteers. The Mississippi Capital Area Chapter is spending today celebrating its volunteers at three home dedications. Executive Director Meryl McEwen talks about service opportunities with Habitat. So the volunteers usually come in once a week and they do things like uh, help with the framing and work with the exterior um, products and put the trusses on, things that groups can do. Now, let me say that we have to control the number of volunteers on the site very carefully because we want them to have, A, a good experience. We don't want people to show up not have anything to do. And also, for safety reasons, we have a limited number, which is 15, who can work in any given shift. So if someone would like to volunteer, they can call 601-353-6060 and talk to our volunteer coordinator, Tina, and we'll try to, we'll try to work you in on a weekend when you'd like to call, come because it is, it is very carefully controlled because the safety of our volunteers is, and our homeowners are paramount because they're working side by side building this house. And, you know, when you talk about pride of ownership, when someone has driven the nails and, and lifted the roof trusses and painted the walls, they are so excited when they um, have a house dedication and the keys are handed to them. It, it, there's just really nothing quite like it. Let's talk about today's big day. It is the Martin Luther King Jr. National Day of Service. You have three dedications. So you're celebrating in three big ways today. Tell us about what's going to happen. We are so excited that we have, over the past year, had 9,654 volunteer hours given to the mission of Habitat for Humanity. That's over a thousand volunteers who have touched a Habitat house or done something that will improve uh, someone's life, giving them not a handout, but a hand up. So we decided that we had three houses that were recently rehabbed. The homeowners have moved in and they're going to host us for their dedications and the volunteers who worked on those houses and the covenant sponsors who contributed the the funding and the homeowner will stand together in their house 
it's going to be real fun. We've never done anything like this. And this is our way to show the significance of not only Dr. King's birthday, but also the day of service and the volunteers who give to Habitat for Humanity in Mississippi Capital Area. I always say everyone knows someone who could benefit from working towards a Habitat house. So those 30-year zero-interest mortgages change people's lives. Meryl McEwen is the executive director of Habitat for Humanity, Mississippi Capital Area. Meryl, thank you so much for being with us. Happy Dr. King's birthday. Coming up next on MPB Think Radio, some special programs celebrating the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. At 9 o'clock, it's MLK, three landmark speeches. And at 10 o'clock, stay tuned for King's Last March. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Marketplace Tech for Monday the 16th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. Earlier this month, the Internet Archive, a nonprofit organization focused on presenting.